0: Welcome to the Respect Your Body podcast. This podcast is for women who are ready to live unapologetically, take bold action, and conquer their goals. I'm your host, Emma Gerard. I'm the founder of Respect Your Body and a disordered eating recovery and body image coach. Join me and expert guests weekly as we engage in raw and honest conversations about mental health, eating disorders, intuitive eating, fitness, self-compassion, confidence, and so much more. Together, we will gather the knowledge and perspective needed to become the happiest and healthiest versions of ourselves. So what are you waiting for? Let's dive into today's episode. Hi everyone, and welcome to episode number five of the Respect Your Body podcast. In today's episode, we are going to be talking all about diet culture, how to fight diet culture, why diets don't work, and how you can actually build a healthy relationship with food. So, we are going to start off talking about diets. If you enter the word diet into internet search engines, you are going to get nearly 200 million results instantly. Diets are often marketed as the answer to people's problems, promising quick weight loss, body acceptance, physical health, and beauty. But if diets actually worked, then why do we need so many of them? In reality, the dieting industry is a multi-billion dollar industry that succeeds by making people feel badly about themselves. People quickly become stuck in a vicious cycle of dieting and the dieting companies make even more money. Now diets typically prescribe that a person follows a rigid pattern of eating for a strict period of time. So these diets prescribe what to eat, when to eat and how much to eat. Now, most dieting involves following strict and often fatty dietary rules, not only restricting calories, but often prohibiting certain foods or entire food groups. But all diets are different, and if we actually tried to follow all of the rules prescribed by all of the different diets that are available to us, you would soon realize that there was basically nothing left to eat at all. Now, it's very likely that you either have been or still are on a diet. We know that in westernized societies, there is a ton of pressure for women to be a certain weight or shape. We know that thinness is idealized and fatness is stigmatized. Now, the reason that most people diet is because they are dissatisfied with their bodies. And then for some people their attempts to control their eating and control their weight get completely out of control and you know these attempts just completely take over their lives. Magazines and the diet industry makes millions of dollars by taking advantage of people's insecurities and all under false pretenses. Now you might wonder okay how is this relevant? Well, research actually suggests that it's not that the people are failing on diets, it's that the diets are failing on people. So because when the human body receives insufficient amounts of food, it's hardwired to maintain a healthy weight and therefore eat more to make up for the nutritional deficit. So you're probably thinking, okay, Emma, I get it. Diets don't work, you know, But therefore, why do we persevere with dieting? And here's the reason. It's that diets often work in the short term. And people often remember these early days when the diet was successful, when they were able to lose that weight relatively easily, when they did feel more in control, and when they did receive praise and compliments from other people. But after the diet has failed in the more long term, that person then thinks that they themselves have failed and they beat themselves up and they try to relive those moments of weight loss and mastery by starting yet another diet. So does this ring any bells for you? I know this has happened to me in the past Um, and if you have developed disordered eating, you may very well be reluctant to give up your current behaviors because you don't want to gain weight. And I completely understand where you're coming from. And really all that I ask is that you keep an open mind um, as we go through this episode, because what I really want you to understand is that diets don't work and um, they can actually be harmful as well. So next up, we're gonna chat a bit about diet culture. So Christy Harrison, she's a really well-known registered dietitian, and she has defined diet culture as a system of beliefs that worship thinness and equates it to health and moral virtue, which means you can spend your whole life thinking you're irreparably broken just because you don't look like the impossibly thin, quote, ideal. Diet culture also promotes weight loss as a means of attaining higher status, which means you feel compelled to spend a massive amount of time, energy, and money trying to shrink your body, even though the research is very clear, as we've mentioned, that almost no one can sustain intentional weight loss for more than a few years diet culture also demonizes certain ways of eating while elevating others, which means you're forced to be hyper vigilant about what you're eating and you're forced to be ashamed of making certain food choices um, and therefore distracted from your pleasure, your purpose and your power. And lastly, diet culture also oppresses people who don't match up with its proposed picture of health which disproportionately harms women, femmes, trans folks, people in larger bodies, people of color, and people with disabilities, among others, damaging both their mental and their physical health. Now, diet culture doesn't just mean being on a diet because you don't have to follow any sort of official diet in order to be caught up in diet culture. Some people may eat in a way that they refer to as a diet For legitimate medical reasons you know if they have diabetes or they're diagnosed with celiac disease um, and they may not actually be engaging in diet culture although this is quite tough to do because diet culture does have its tentacles all up in the medical field So I've worked with a lot of people who think they're not dieting, but when we really dig into their relationship with food, they realize that they are pursuing wellness or health in a way that looks very much like a diet. And that's a form of diet culture um, called the wellness diet. And it is rampant in this 21st century, whether it be clean eating, detoxes, cleanses, You know, the overuse of elimination diets, carb restriction, gluten phobia, you know, performative health, it all falls under the umbrella of the wellness diet. And the weight stigma aspect of diet culture may be de-emphasized in some iterations of this wellness diet, but the moralization and the demonization of food is always front and center. And there are lots of other forms of diet culture, too. It's really sneaky, uh, kind of like a shape-shifting thing (laughs) that robs people, honestly, of their time, of their money, of their health, of their happiness, and of so much more. And it can be really hard to spot, and yet in Western culture, it's absolutely everywhere. So we're going to take a few moments to chat about how we can fight the different tenets of diet culture. And this is um, according to Christy Harrison, who I mentioned is a registered dietitian. If you don't already know of her, check her out. She is amazing. She has her own podcast. She has an Instagram page. So it's really worth checking out. Um, She's very, very knowledgeable and um, she is doing amazing work to fight diet culture. So As we've talked about, diet culture is this really dangerous thing that harms people of all sizes, um, including by perpetuating eating disorders and making full recovery almost impossible. But when it comes to actually identifying diet culture in this world that is unfortunately rife with it, there can be plenty of confusion. So if we truly want to prevent eating disorders, if we truly want to create a culture where full recovery is possible, we need to learn to identify diet culture and speak out against it. So we're gonna go over kind of a list here of the different tenets of diet culture. And this list is absolutely not exhaustive, but it does cover some of the main tenets of diet culture and some of the options we have for fighting back against it. So tenet number one, Diet culture conflates size and health, pathologizing some body sizes. So weight stigma is so firmly entrenched in our culture that even healthcare professionals often substitute fat phobia for actual diagnoses, and they substitute diets for the evidence-based interventions that a thin person with the same health issues would receive. So. In order to resist diet culture, when you see someone pathologizing a fat body, you can explain that there are healthy and unhealthy people of every shape and size, and that adding healthism to sizeism is not a good look. You can point out to them that what's actually important is that people of all sizes have access to ethical, evidence-based care, and that weight loss recommendations aren't prescribed for health issues. Now, as the amazing Deb Burgard has pointed out, she said, quote, we prescribe for fat people what we diagnose as disordered in thin people. I'm going to say that again. We prescribe for fat people what we diagnose as disordered in thin people. So this is really dangerous for fat people who are being prescribed disordered eating behaviors. Um, and for all people of all sizes who live in this world where disordered eating behaviors are normalized. And for non-fat people who you know have eating disorders who are given the message that if they were fat, their eating disorder behaviors would not just be appropriate, but it would actually be beneficial. It would actually be approved by a doctor. And you know, also for fat people with eating disorders who are given behavior prescriptions that celebrate their eating disorders and make them even more entrenched. So pair that with body dysmorphia or an extreme fear of becoming fat and diet, qu- diet culture quickly becomes honestly deadly. And I don't say that lightly, it really is deadly. Now, the second tenet of diet culture is that diet culture encourages following external rules about what, when, and how much to eat. So another aspect um, of diet culture is this use of food rules and restriction to manipulate body size, either to make sure that one doesn't become fat or to try to make fat people thin and um, And in addition to the fact that only a tiny fraction of people can actually manipulate their body size long term, these are all red flag behaviors for eating disorders. So when you see this suggestion, you can remind people that food has plenty of appropriate uses in our culture. You know, it's used for nourishment. It's used for celebration. It's used, you know, when we're feeling emotional but it is not used to manipulate our body size. That is not one of its uses. Now, tenet number three of diet culture is that it suggests that people are more or less good or more or less moral or more or less worthy based on their body size. So you may have heard of the war on obesity and this is actually funded by the government, and it's based on telling everyone that a fat person will, um, you know, it's, it's based on telling fat people um, that they, should, they are stereotyped, they are shamed, they are stigmatized, and they are harassed. And the result is that people actually believe that a thin body is more attractive, that it's more worthy, and that it's better than a fat body. And people therefore behave accordingly, leading to size-based oppression um, and internalized oppression. So, what you can do is you can point out that all bodies are good bodies, and that as you know, a lovely woman, her name's Marilyn Wan Wan, I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. She's a diet culture, an anti-diet culture warrior, and um, she has famously pointed out. The only thing anyone can diagnose by looking at a fat person is their own level of prejudice towards fat people. So I absolutely love that. So I think that's such a great thing to say to people when you know they are being judgmental and it really gets them to stop and think, hopefully. Tenet number four is that diet culture creates thin privilege which makes thinness a gatekeeper for jobs, for benefits, for comfort, and for accommodation. So if you expect that you can enter a restaurant, a public bus, a roller coaster, a doctor's waiting room, a play, (laughs) you know, an airplane, and find a seat that accommodates you, then you have thin privilege. And that's just one example. Thin privilege is really created by a world that is based upon accommodating thin people and seeing thin bodies as more deserving than fat bodies. Now like all privilege, most thin people didn't ask for it, they can't give it away, but they can use it to fight diet culture. So an excellent use of thin privilege is to find out what fat people want that thin people already have and then ask how you can help. So for example, when someone says, I can't believe that a fat person thinks they should get to travel, you know, from point A to point B on this plane for the same price as I do. Say, why do we get seats that accommodate us, but other people are asked to pay twice as much for the same trip? That's not fair. And then you can do other things. You can sign petitions. You can get involved in activism. You can interrupt fat phobia on planes. and You can welcome those fat people. Let them sit next to you. There are so many options available to you. Tenet number five is that diet culture suggests movement as punishment for or the prevention of being fat rather than for reasons such as fun (laughs) or personal goals. So if I had a nickel for every person who had some type of a messy breakup with exercise because of a fat phobic gym teacher I would be rich. (laughs) Diet culture throws things like joyful movement out the window in order to talk about movement as a way to manipulate body size and it also encourages people to stereotype fat people involved in movement, leading to fat people doing the workouts we've been doing for years interrupted by people gushing about how proud they are that we have finally started a workout program and you know, well, oh, don't worry, you'll lose that weight in no time. So, let's be clear. <laughs> Nobody is obligated to participate in fitness of any kind. Full stop. Not everyone has the same access to movement options and the participation in movement. um, And participating is not a barometer of worthiness. When it comes to movement, we should work hard to make sure that everyone has access to the information and the options that they want. And then we should just mind our own business and not worry about it. Now the next tenet is um, that diet culture views fat people as less valuable and more risky or riskable. So fat people who have health issues often find their healthcare practitioner recommending that they have their stomachs amputated or bound, Um, this is known as bariatric surgery, or their prescribed diet drugs, despite the fact that these can actually kill people. And these often have horrific lifelong side effects, I mean, for those who survive it, that is. And, you know, these, you know, treatments or these options, they offer no guarantee of effective treatment for people with actual health issues. Now, thin people with the same exact health issues are given evidence-based interventions and they're never asked to risk their life or the quality of their life. So diet culture really creates this belief that it's okay to risk the life of a fat person in order to make them a thin person. That is so unbelievably wrong. Diet culture wants fat people to become thin or to become dead. And they don't really seem to care which it is. So we can interrupt this by insisting that fat people receive the same evidence-based care and the same evidence-based interventions that thin people do. And by never suggesting that it would ever be appropriate to risk a fat person's health, whether that be their physical or their mental health, in an effort to turn them into a thinner person. All right, so I'm going to share some important reminders here as we wrap up these tenets of diet culture and how we are fighting against them. By and large, Western culture is diet culture. This way of thinking about food and bodies is so embedded in the fabric of our society in so many ways, in so many different forms, that it honestly is hard to recognize. But here is what I want you to know. I want you to know that you don't have to spend all your time, all your money, all your energy worrying about food and your body. You can have more mental space to do great work, to take care of yourself, to spend time with your loved ones, and to answer your calling in life to work an amazing career. I also want you to know that it's not your fault. It's a systemic problem. It's a cultural problem. It's not an individual problem. And the fact that you're preoccupied with concerns about eating, exercise, weight, and shape is a direct result of diet culture. Your body is not broken. You are not broken. You haven't irreparably damaged your hunger and fullness. Your body is just trying to protect you, and this is a normal, Um, natural, predictable, and automatic response to famine. And that's exactly what diets are. Diets are essentially starving you. Okay, so on that note, we're going to talk about why diets don't work. And really the main reason why diets don't work is that they prescribe far too little food. And when we do not eat enough from all food groups, the body tips into a state of semi-starvation and it induces physical deprivation. And if we do not respond to hunger by eating, the physiological pressure to eat builds up until we're actually driven to eat. So patients that have disordered eating, they often say that they don't feel hungry. And this could be true. Especially if someone has been ignoring their hunger signals for a long period of time, the body may actually stop recognizing hunger. But despite this, the body still craves and needs adequate nutrition. Now, when a person is physically and psychologically driven to eat, they often eat more than they had planned. Or they eat foods that they had previously tried to avoid. Or they lose control to the point of binge eating. And when this happens, people often worry about how this is going to impact their weight. And this may lead them to then diet more strictly in order to quote make up for having broken the rules of their diet, which just sets them up for this really vicious cycle of restricting and then binging. Next, we're going to talk about something called diet backlash. And this is the cumulative side effects of dieting, it can be short term. Or it could be chronic, depending on how long a person has been dieting. And it could just be this one side effect, or it could be several. So, symptoms include the mere contemplation of going on a diet, bringing on these urges and these cravings for, quote, sinful foods or, you know, quote, fatty favorites. It could also be that upon ending a diet, you go on this crazy food binge and you feel really, really guilty. It could be having little trust in yourself around food. It could be a feeling that you don't deserve to eat because you're overweight. It could be the last supper mentality, which is a phenomenon known, you know, as basically every diet being preceded by consuming foods that you assume you aren't going to be able to eat again. It could be social withdrawal since it's hard to stay on a diet and go to a party or go out for dinner. It could be sluggish metabolism, because each diet you you participate in teaches the body to adapt better for the next self-imposed famine. It could be using caffeine to survive the day. It could be an eating disorder. So there are so many symptoms of this diet backlash that you may be experiencing. So next, we are going to talk about the dieting paradox, so as we've established dieting doesn't work but in addition to that it's at the root of many other problems so while many um, may diet as an attempt to lose weight or for you know health reasons the paradox is that it may actually cause more harm so here's what our nation actually has to show for dieting first of all obesity is higher than ever in adults and children Secondly, eating disorders are on the rise. Childhood obesity has actually doubled over the last decade. And even though there are more fat-free and diet foods available now more than ever, nearly two-thirds of adults are overweight or obese. We know that dieting increases your risk of gaining even more weight than you lost. And we know that dieting is a form of short-term starvation. So consequently, when you're given the first opportunity to eat, this eating, like we mentioned, is often experienced at this really high intensity, and it feels really uncontrollable. And while this intense eating may feel out of control and unnatural, it's actually a completely normal response to having been starved and having dieted. And yet so often, people are viewed as having no willpower, or it's, you know they're viewed as having some type of a character defect. But when you interpret post-diet eating as such, it slowly erodes your trust in yourself with food, diet after diet. And every diet violation, every eating situation that feels out of control lays the foundation for the diet mentality brick by brick and diet by diet. So this seemingly brave solution, just to try harder next time, becomes totally bewildering because the truth is you can't fight biology, and when your body is starving, it needs to be nourished. This is not an issue of willpower. When you're underfed, you're going to obsess about food, whether it's a form of self-imposed diet or it's a form of actual starvation. So next, we're going to chat a bit about um, escaping dieting. So we chatted a bit about, you know, the diet, the restriction and, um, binging that kind of, um, you know, going from one to the other extreme. So we know dieting is the other side of binge eating. And in order to find a balance between the two, you need to stop both behaviors. So the goal is really to find a middle ground, but dieting, you know, Giving up dieting can be really scary for people because for a lot of people, it means giving up control. But what I want you to know is that dieting is a very false sense of control. In reality, the diet and the binging are controlling you. And many people fear that when they give up dieting, they're going to spiral out of control and their body is going to expand out of control. But the truth is that when you give up dieting, you can stop listening to the constraints of that diet and you can finally start listening to your body. And your body really does know what's best. So giving up on dieting doesn't mean that you're giving in to compulsive eating. It doesn't mean that you're gonna go on this free-for-all, you know, cuckoo, you know, bender that you never come back from. It's really about giving your body what it needs when it needs it. And it's about giving yourself enough of the right foods so you can feed and nourish your body and eventually allow yourself to, you know, have the occasional treat and have that forbidden, you know, previously forbidden food without binging on it and just actually enjoy it. So as you begin to nurture and nourish your body, it's just going to go ahead and settle into its natural weight, settle into its natural rhythm. And, you know, I know that it feels hard to let go of dieting. But it's not it's not that that's hard. The holding on is hard. The letting go, the surrender, is actually quite easy. So lastly, before we wrap up, I'm going to chat quickly about building a healthy relationship with food. So this is a topic I could go on about forever. (laughs) It's something I'm really passionate about, as I'm sure you've realized by now. Um, Unfortunately, building a healthy relationship with food is not simple and it's not really straightforward. And the steps that need to be taken are going to vary greatly from one person to another. So when I work with clients, I typically support them in relearning how to eat intuitively. And I say relearn very, you know, very, what's the word, intently? (laughs) I say it on purpose because what I mean um, is that deep down since birth, we've all been intuitive eaters. But over time, as we've grown up, our intuitive eater has become buried. So if you want to discover all the principles of intuitive eating and how to implement them, then I would highly encourage you to listen to episode number two. And if you're interested in ditching dieting, beating binge eating, and building a healthy relationship with food and your body, I do offer a one-on-one coaching program um, that I would love for you to check out. Um, I also offer free 30-minute consultation calls um, so that I can learn more about you, what you're struggling with, what your goals are, and see if we would be a good fit to work together. So if any of that interests you, I will leave all the information down below in the show notes, Um, or you can check out my Instagram at emma.respectyourbody, or you can check out my website, www.respectyourbody.ca. So thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I hope that you found it helpful. Um... And like I said, please don't hesitate to send me a DM or to check out the services that I offer. I would absolutely love to support you and I hope that you have a great day or night whenever it is that you are listening and I'll chat with you again soon. Bye. You have just finished listening to an episode on the Respect Your Body podcast. If you liked today's episode, make sure to leave me a review and share this podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at emma.respectyourbody on Instagram. Now, if you're wanting to go behind the scenes of my life as a young entrepreneur, make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel and check out my blog for lots of yummy recipes. I can't wait to chat with you again soon. And thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Until next time, keep respecting your body and living the healthiest and happiest version of your life.